It's already a Wednesday of Super Bowl week. Hope you're gearing up for uh, what is going to be a great weekend. But a couple more days to embark upon. But we are here live with you on a Wednesday. Got a big one for you today. Power Talk of Muncie, the new WMUN, is always presented by Walls Furniture and Mattress. Pat Boyle and Pacers Radio joining us at 425. Very interesting week for the Indiana Pacers. And one of the things that is a curiosity is we are uh, just about 24 hours away from the trade deadline line how active or lack thereof will the Pacers be and I think it's an interesting discussion when you bring it up because you feel like when you take a big swing and get Pascal Siakam what else can you do with a team that already had depth in a lot of positions but um, you know Buddy Heald's minutes have really deteriorated um, there's interest for some of the bench players for the Indiana Pacers across the league. And so can you get a better rotational player, maybe just even a slight upgrade or a skill set that you may need down the road? Um, I wouldn't be surprised either way for Indiana that they stand pat or they make a move because they do have a couple of players on expiring contracts or a couple of players that might be more valuable elsewhere because of other additions that have been made. So um, that is a curiosity for Indiana. Um, We won't get into a lot of that with Pat Boylan because I want to focus on the on the floor related items, the uh, All Star Game festivities happening ha- happening in Central Indiana starting next week. There's so much going on, and uh, we'll let the chips fall where they do as it relates to the uh, NBA trade deadline. Um, it, it's not like the other sports, right, where you have like a week or two buildup to the NBA trade deadline. No, it's it's a 24-hour period. We haven't seen a lot of movement, but maybe it's because there isn't exactly a ton of big names out there. So anyway, um, it's, it's something to cover, uh, but we won't spend a ton of time on it on the program today. So Pat's going to join us. Pacers win last night. Ball State men's basketball. Wow, what a, what a hard-fought loss. I mean, <laughs> that, was, uh, that was a crushing loss. Uh, there, there's no question about it. And um, being in the building on the call of that one on the radio network, it, it was such an entertaining game. The second half was so different from the first half. And, you know, overtime was competitive, and it came down to the final moments. It really, really did. Uh, but Ohio, credit to them, they win 84-79 in overtime. And um, I was texting the voice of the Cardinals, Mick Tidrell, a little bit earlier today and uh, talking to others that were there last night. That felt like a Mid-American Conference tournament type of game. Now, I haven't been to one of those tournaments but I have called a lot of tournament games in the Division II level and others. I know the difference is pretty stark from a crowd standpoint. That being said, you could feel the intensity on both sides last night because I labeled it as the swing game, that it was a swing game for both teams, and there are less and less of those swing games as you get later in the schedule because gaps are formed in the conference standings. Um, But that felt like an immense swing game for the Ball State Cardinals. Now, um, the swing is this. The swing is putting yourself in a position to be a part of the true middle of the conference. So it was the difference between five and six in conference and four and seven in conference. The good news is you are a game and a half out of Northern Illinois, and you have the head-to-head against Northern Illinois. So you are still in 
the Mid-American Conference Tournament as it stands right now. Uh, Northern Illinois, Eastern Michigan, and Buffalo all have work uh, to, to do. And I, actually, I take that back. Uh, they're one spot back against Western Michigan. But you have the head-to-head. You've got some games coming up uh, that put you in that mix. So um, uh, I, can't, I apparently can't do math. I've told you that before. But um, rest assured, I'll get better, I guess. But, man, the difference between being 5-6 and six and 4-7 and seven is pretty stark because you would have been around teams like Western Michigan, like Miami of Ohio, like Kent State, and you're going to see a lot of these teams down the road. Um, actually, you're going to see all of them, pretty much. Uh, you'll see uh, Western Michigan again. You'll see... Uh, Uh, Miami of Ohio again you'll see Kent State again and what the difference would have been being tied up um, in in the conference standings before you get there um, certainly makes a difference but at the end of the day um, Ohio executed late um, and, and made some plays at the end. And uh, Jalen Anderson went to the line, uh, was found on a three-point attempt. Ball State was down by two, and he missed all three free throws. And that is what is talked about more so than anything else. But I'm, I, I'm not going to speak like a coach, but I, I'm going to sound like one right here. That game in the second half did not come down to those three missed uh, free throws. It did not. And Ball State fans or or fans out there might say that's what lost them the game. Look, you had so many opportunities down the stretch. Um, Give credit to Ohio's Jalen Hunter. He went to the basket on the same driving lane three or four times in a row, and Ball State couldn't stop it with three different defenders. And he went right there, got two right back after Ball State would go on the other end and score. Jalen Hunter took it away. Um, he had 32 points in the game, was spectacular for Ohio late. But, um, you know, you make one of those defensive stops, you may be talking about a victory in regulation. Um, there were some decisions down the stretch on shot, um, shot, uh, uh, shot attempts that – make you kind of wonder so I, I bring it into perspective for this that we do this in sports all the time and I know how it goes I understand how it goes you don't have to explain it to me the play that ultimately seals the game for the opponent and in this case the three missed free throws by Jalen Anderson you feel like that decided the game it didn't decide the game because in a tight game you had opportunities multiple multiple times on the defensive end decisions offensively so it doesn't come down to Jalen Anderson who more often than not last night was spectacular more often than not made plays when he needed to Ball State erased a nine-point halftime deficit. They trailed 13 to nothing at the beginning of the game. Came all the way back. You felt like they had the momentum with a couple minutes left. Credit to Ohio. Tie it up. And Jalen Anderson nearly had a game winner from the right wing leaning back over his right shoulder with two defenders in his face that just skids off the back iron. If it was a little higher on the glass, we would have been talking about one insane game winner that would have made its rounds. We probably would have played the call on the show. We probably would have, um, you know, retweeted the video and all those sorts of things. But it went to overtime and, um, you know, it was back and forth in overtime. And I give Ball State credit in that regard because uh, Bashir Jihad, with a minute and 20 seconds to go, fouled out of the basketball game in regulation. And... 
I remember talking to Scott Bunnell, uh, the analyst on the Ball State radio broadcast, and saying, look, um, the good news, you know, the bad news is Bashir Jihad's out. The good news is, with a minute and 20 seconds to go, oftentimes your guards are going to make the decisions late anyway. So it really... It, it sounds bad to say it didn't affect the game because your best player, your biggest matchup problem, and Bashir Jihad is out of the basketball game. But it really was going to come down to decisions made by Jalen Anderson and Davion Bailey, and they were more often better than not late. Davion Bailey, 15 second half points. But when the game got tied and it went to overtime, that is where the curiosity set. Because, you know, in offensive basketball and in defensive basketball too he's the anchor of the middle of your defense but in offensive basketball when you have a post player that is as talented as Bashir is and the top guy at the scouting report it's not just how much he scores it's also the ability to get a defense to collapse on your matchup to create better matchups on the perimeter. You call it the reset. See, if you watched the game last night and you've watched it here as of late, they give Bashir Jihad a post-touch. And he may make a decision facing up his defender, uh, fire a jump shot, may take it in. But oftentimes, it's a reset. He backs down to the defender a couple of dribbles, picks it up, deals it back to the perimeter. It just kind of resets the offense with the attention and the threat of Bashir inside. You didn't have that option in overtime. So when the regulation horn sounded, I remember talking about it on the broadcast with Scott Bunnell, that that was a big turning point for Ohio and you can actually see the bench from Ohio saying they were glad to get it to overtime because they acknowledged with a minute and 20 seconds to play it was going to be about Ball State's guard play and their guard play to decide what was going to happen at the end of that basketball game but when they got to overtime Ohio seemed to have confidence they just seemed to have confidence because they had they did a spectacular job last night on Bashir Jihad you got to give them credit Got, got to give them credit. Um, they, they flustered uh, Giad, who had a much better second half than first half. Uh, Bashir Giad was 4 for 17 from the floor um, and, and really struggled with his fouls. Um, did have a couple of big and one baskets at the rim. But you didn't have the luxury of having your biggest matchup problem in the basketball game. Uh, I mean, that, that really, really struggled. And it forced, um, you know, the backcourt for Ball State, Davion Bailey, Jalen Anderson. Bailey played 41 minutes. Jalen Anderson played 44 of 45 minutes. Uh, I mean, they both played a long basketball game. And so even with all that said, the game was tied a couple of times towards the end of regulation. Ball State operated pretty darn well without Bashir Jihad in the basketball game. Ben Hendricks makes a layup with 56 seconds to play. Ball State's up 78-77. Jalen Hunter's fouled away from the basket. Um, he hit a couple of free throws. Then Jalen Anderson is, uh, is, is fouled um, on a three-point attempt with 17 seconds to play, and I'm mistaken. It was a one-point game at that time. So so really, Anderson needed to make one to tie, two to take the lead, and he missed all three. But it didn't come down to that. It just didn't. That was the the moment that everybody is going to point to, but I, I'm here to tell you that's not what decided the game. Decisions late decided the game. Execution by Ohio decided the game, and they took it.
in a massive swing game. The difference between Ohio being six to, six and five in Ball State five and six ended up being Ohio at seven and four and Ball State at four and seven. So, um, you know, there were a couple other things about last night that was kind of interesting in surveying the whole thing. Um, there was there, there was a lot of things happening on the Ball State sideline, no doubt about it. And uh, Michael Lewis even even talked about it a little bit after the game about uh, some of the emotions of the ups and downs of the game. You know, Bashir Jihad, I think this is kind of the first game really in Mid-American Conference play. Um, he, he, he's been really held in check. A lot of everything was a struggle last night for Bashir offensively. And you you could see uh, the emotions in place. Um, you saw a little bit from Pearson Jr., Anderson, and and, and Bailey. And, um, you know, um, Michael Lewis said after the game he was kind of playing psychologist there on the sidelines a little bit. Um, he, he was he was trying to get his guys going. And, look, uh, the fact of the matter is Ball State was, was spectacular in the second half. I mean, they, they played really good offensive basketball. They found a matchup on the wings that they really liked and knocked down some perimeter shots and really put themselves back in the basketball game. But, you know, the the, the officiating was consistent on both sides. Um, they weren't calling much, and both coaches were uh, very, very vocal about I mean, there was a lot going on, and that's why I described it was a Mid-American Conference tournament type of game. You could feel the urgency on both sides. Like, that just wasn't a really hard-fought Mid-American Conference game. There was a lot of urgency to that game, and we talked about it on yesterday's show how much that game meant from a swing standpoint and what a swing it is right now. And so now you have 10 days, uh, as of last night, you have 11 days in between Mid-American Conference games, and, and the tough part is the next four, three of those are on the road. If there's good news about it, Ball State's played pretty well on the road in the Mid-American Conference, but um, your road is a little bit more difficult. You're going to face um, some of the teams in the middle of the conference again, and you're going to have to do it, have to navigate it on the road. So at Miami of Ohio, at Northern Illinois, home versus Eastern Michigan on the 24th of February, and then on the road at Central Michigan on February 27th. So, look, it would have been a big win last night. It would have been, and it ended up not being a big win. And you walk away, and it's it's one of those games where um, if you watched it last night, Ball State played it, it, it played like the better team for the majority of that second half. But it goes back to maybe the way you started. Um, it, it goes back to that. And how many times have we talked about the starts of this basketball team this season? So very conflicted feeling last night because as we've talked about, here over the last couple of weeks, the 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 surrounding parts around Bashir Jihad are starting to really play well. I mean, Davion Bailey was outstanding in the second half offensively. He scored 15 points. Jalen Anderson was the leading scorer with 22. Mickey Pearson made big shot after big shot. Um, he had an ill-advised three in the corner late in the regulation that uh, was was really tough. But overall, Mickey uh, Pearson he was he was Ball State's best player in the first half and continue to be consistent in the second half. Uh, but ultimately, Ohio executed a little bit later down the stretch in their best matchup. And uh, J uh, Jalen Hunter, he was all, all, you know, all about it 
32 points and was aggressive going to the rim, hit six clutch free throws at the end of the game to seal it off. And the margins are very thin in this conference, man. They, they very much are. And so um, you play Texas State coming up on Saturday. And I'll, you know, I'll be interested to see how Ball State comes out. Because it's weird to have a non-conference type of game in the middle of your schedule and go right back to Mid-American Conference play. And the awkwardness and maybe the break that it is, does it help you? Um, I I don't know. Um, Texas State coming up Saturday. And then you don't play until against Miami of Ohio on the road on the 17th of February. So a week from Saturday. It's a a strange way the, um, the schedule has worked out. But ultimately, uh, that was a little bit of a gut punch last night. No doubt about it. As entertaining as a game it was, it didn't go your way. And so you move on. So there are one, two, three, four, five, six, seven Mid-American Conference games left. And, um, you know, your, uh, your season kind of hangs on, on a lot of this because obviously you're in the in-between period of being in the conference tournament and not. Uh, your game back of three other teams, Kent State, Miami of Ohio, and Western Michigan. So uh, what you do against those teams is really going to determine whether you're going to Cleveland or not. And we can start talking about that over the last seven minutes. American Conference games. No question about it. That can become a topic of conversation now uh, because um, seven games, this is when crunch time kind of ensues. And, and let me go back to what I said before the swing game that it was, the margins in an overtime game uh, being four and seven in conference or five and six, it was that thin. That darn thin. So, uh, again, Saturday, Ball State against Texas State. You can hear the conference right here on the Tonka Muncie, the new WMUN. Thanks to those of you joining us on Facebook Live. We're going to talk a little Pacers with Pat Boyle from the Pacers Radio Network. Uh, Pacers get it done uh, last night. Wasn't exactly pretty, but, you know, um, one of the things in trying to figure out this team as we've tried to do uh, throughout the season and continue to do, Pacers are now 29-23. and uh, is I I don't really care how they win. It's that they win. Because, you know, Denver doesn't do it in a sexy fashion, but they they get it done. You know, uh, Nikola Jokic isn't exactly the most aesthetically pleasing basketball player that you'll see, but Denver just wins. Denver just gets games done. And and as many games as there are in the NBA, you're never going to have your best every single night. And, and the Rockets are a very scrappy, interesting team in the Western Conference. They're not the worst team that you can play. They're not, um, you know, obviously what uh, the, the, the Rockets were before. But um, you got it done. You got the win. Tyrese Halliburton still on a slight minutes restriction. You know, I just wonder how that's affecting the chemistry. It looks like those minutes are going to ramp up a little bit. And uh, we'll talk all about that with with uh, Pat Boylan for the Pacers Radio Network. Coming up next, it is a Wednesday edition of The Power. We're back with you next on the Talk of Muncie, the new W. As always, presented by Walls Furniture and Mattress, Nebo Ronan Muncie online at wallsfurniture.com. 90% of what's on the showroom for in stock for you, 48 hours or less. That's the Walls Furniture and Mattress difference on Nebo Ronan Muncie online at wallsfurniture.com. Glad you're with us and always glad when Pat Boylan from the Pacers Radio Network stops by. He's with us right now. Um, 
Correct me if I'm wrong on this, Pat, but uh, look, good teams, and the Pacers get a win last night, um, every night aren't going to have their best. Um, the Rockets are by no means uh, a team like they were the past couple of years that you look on your schedule and you better win that game. But at the end of, the, uh, at the end of last night, did you kind of feel like the Pacers kind of uh, grinded one out with maybe not having their absolute best last night? Yeah, what was interesting about last night's game is, first of all, you're right. Um, the Rockets are in a position now where if you don't bring a good effort, they're more than capable of beating you. Um, you know, they've been – they're just outside of the play-in tournament right now out west, but they've been in that play-in tournament, that 9-2 uh, – excuse me, that 7-10 to 10 spot uh, for most of the season. And to be honest with you, I, I would say for the first – uh, 30 minutes of this game and the final four to six minutes of this game, the Pacers were kind of at like a C minus if I were to grade their level of play. Um, but from mid third quarter to about mid fourth quarter, they had a 10 minute stretch where they held Houston to two of 19 from the floor, uh, five turnovers during that stretch. They had uh, something like five or seven points over the course of 10 minutes. And yeah, so the, were the Pacers on their A game? No. They also don't have 100% Tyrese Halliburton. They're still mixing and matching a lot of lineups and rotations. But they found within them a 10-minute stretch that ultimately won them that game. And I'm a firm believer in good teams also find a lot of ways to win. And winning when you recognize that this isn't going to be your A night is one of them. And they had one a week and a half or so ago against Memphis that kind of followed that similar playbook, too. At the end of the uh, season, when you're looking at the standings, you, you kind of look back to games like last night and you say, okay, did you, did you take care of business or was this one you let get away? And I think, uh, you know, from a positive perspective from the Pacers, they did let a fair amount of those get away early in the season. They have a loss to uh, Charlotte. They've, got, they've had a couple losses to Portland, um, but they've, uh, they lost to Chicago. And I think that's one of the general positive trends of this team is you're just not seeing that as much. And to give the early season Pacers credit – Yes, they were losing games that they shouldn't have lost, but they were also winning a lot of games that I think a lot of people felt like they shouldn't have won too, and those two kind of balanced out. But as this team progresses and as it grows, I think the next step is taking care of business on nights when you don't always have it, or I think that's one of the next steps. And I thought that's what last night was, and it was a second straight win uh, coming off a three-game losing streak, so good to kind of counterbalance some of the struggles you faced late, late last week. So this minutes restriction stuff, I, I get the premise of it all. And, of course, nobody can argue with, with, with doctors and the minutes restriction side of things. I, I'm more curious, uh, since he's come back and on this minutes restriction, how much – we talked about a, a couple weeks ago the adjustment that it is with him not in the lineup, but him in the lineup now for 22 to 25 minutes. Is that also another adjustment because for big chunks and stretch matches you you can't have them on the floor what 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 has been from a survey perspective and what other players have said the biggest adjustment with a halfway Tyree Celebrant playing well if you think of this question from the perspective of Pascal Siakam when he got here uh, Tyrese actually did play in one game with him but for all intents and purposes when he got here he had to play without Tyrese Halliburton, and now he's adjusting to a version of he got up to Tyrese 29 minutes last night, and I think that's a positive sign 
that his minutes restriction is increasing and hopefully uh, in the not-too-distant future will be gone entirely. But if you look at it from his perspective, early on for a couple of weeks, it was like, okay, I'm adjusting to a team that doesn't have the best player and kind of the guy that was the reason that I was brought in in the first place to see how we could play together. And now he's adjusting to a version of this team that does have that guy, but not for the number of minutes that you're expecting him to play when he's fully healthy. And frankly, not at that level either. I mean, Halliburton was impactful in the win last night, but it's another, it's another reason why last night you, you take any win that you can get. Um, Halliburton himself has admitted he's not all the way back yet. Uh, Rick Carlisle has admitted he's not all the way back yet. You're not seeing right now, um, and, and you shouldn't expect to, it's just right out of his injury, but you're not seeing an all-NBA point guard on the floor right now. You're seeing a guy who's a good point guard who's making impactful plays you know and he made the game the play that closed out the game too um but this is not the 28 and 15 Tyrese Halliburton from pre-injury and and there's no reason in my opinion to think he can't get there and uh, perhaps even soon but still Pascal Siakam has not played with 36 minutes, 28 points, 15 assists, Tyrese Halliburton. So not only uh, is your question a good one and a, and a valid point, um, it's, it's one that's going to continue here because are the Pacers going to get to that point in the next four games? Is Halliburton going to get to that point in the next four games? I don't know. It would be nice, but even if it does, um, it's, it's only a few games like this, and then they're going to hit an eight-day break, and then they're going to all reconvene. So it's it's going to the last couple of weeks have been choppy. It's going to continue to be choppy for the next couple of weeks, uh, with the All Star break thrown in there. I think the hope is, you know, maybe you get to March and you start seeing Halliburton at 100 percent, and that's when he, Siakam, and this group really start to kind of make their final gelling, if you will, before the playoffs. But I do think it's important that even during this choppy stretch, the Pacers have more than held their head above water. And if they're able to go on uh, as the schedule gets easier here, if they're able to go on a little bit of a tear to close out the season and move up in the standings, I think it's important to look back at this stretch right now and into January when they didn't have them and they did a pretty good job as to a big reason why they were able to do so. It's Pat Boylan from the Pacers Radio Network with us on the Talk of Muncie, the new WMUA. And I, I want to extend that to this. I asked this just shortly after uh, the injury happened to you about, um, you know, th- does this – uh, hurt his potential for availability in the All-Star game. Now, he's been announced for the three-point contest. Again, there's movement involved, but certainly not a, like a, a game action. The skills contest, if I'm not mistaken, with Benedict Matherin. Um, to your point of what you just explained a moment ago there, Pat, um, we haven't gotten an announcement one way or the other, and I'm sure if the announcement happened, it would happen closer to game time of what Tyrese would do and not do um, your sense on how involved he will be in the actual game, if at all, um, the, the Sunday uh, all-star game next week. Well, look, he's a starter and I can guarantee you he has every intention of starting that game and being on there at the beginning. It, it's a good question. And it's one that I haven't even really sat down to think about in depth yet. And we just had a, about a 15 minute conversation with him after practice Um, in a group scrum setting, and that specific question was not asked. But I do know he's extremely busy over this All-Star break. Um, He's involved in numerous events uh, throughout the weekend, both uh, some you've mentioned and others uh, along the lines of appearances. And, look, this guy's just the de facto host 
um, of the All-Star Weekend for the city. And so if I had to make a, an, an educated guess, and that's all it would be at this point, is starting that game is something he absolutely um, places a lot of value in. Uh, does he play 25 minutes in a different situation and maybe 20 minutes, 15 to 20 minutes uh, in this situation? I think that's a possibility. Uh, the last thing you want to do is is really try to push something in a situation like this where uh, the game doesn't have – the result of the game doesn't have a whole lot of meaning. But he soaks this up. You know, he revels in these type of environments, the ability to have the NBA's best and for him to be a part of that discussion. Uh, and by no means does he want to sit on the sidelines and on the bench and – I think it's possible this next week will go a long way in determining that. If he gets the minutes restriction pulled and he starts playing 36 minutes and he starts looking close to 100% himself, then maybe we won't see any adjustment at all. Um, but I think if they're if they're if they are going to err in one direction, it's going to be on the side of caution. Well, and the reason I ask that is your explanation in the previous response, Pat almost like changed my line of thinking my thought was always hey it's an exhibition game why would you even risk putting him out there and you know the honorary starter deal play the first couple of minutes and get him out of there but because of the long layoff you would think rest is important but obviously because of like you had mentioned the ambassador nature that he's going to play during the all-star game it's not like he's not going to work out but the the real practice and training and all of that stuff is on a slight hiatus during that time for the all-star break like is it almost a benefit we all know the the level of uh, uh, actual type of game action the all-star game is but in a lot of ways is it a benefit because you may not want as much of a layoff that rest could almost be a deterrent I don't know I'm just spitballing because it just kind of hit me when you had that response a moment ago yeah, and you know what? To be honest with you, I'm just kind of educated spitballing over here, too. I, it, it's a unique situation that I, I can't remember a parallel, at least here. Of course, guys go into All-Star Weekend all the time, not 100%. Um, I, I think the nature of the game, too, is one that's going to – look, I'm not saying he's not going to play at a, at a competitive level of even everybody else out there, um, but this isn't a game where you're – uh, always getting down in the stands defensively and making hard cuts. And uh, some people wish it were to be more like that, but, and maybe, maybe we'll see a trend back in that direction, but it's not typically the most physically taxing game. So, uh, you know, I, I'll, I'll say this, nothing would really shock me. Like if, if he said, Hey, I want to go play the first six minute stretch because starting in the all-star game is important to me. And this is a cool honor that I've worked my butt off for. Uh, and I want to do and then I'm going to sit out because I don't even want to risk it. Like, that wouldn't shock me either. Right. I think the, the answer might lie somewhere in the middle there. But this is a guy that's extremely competitive and a guy that always is pushing himself. And if he ended up playing the normal level of minutes on Sunday, I can't say that would shock me either. So I guess we'll all stay tuned and maybe he'll get that question as we get a little bit closer to next weekend. So the Pacers, when they acquired uh, uh, Pascal Siakam, it was one of those things where everybody uh, kind of said, well, that's the, you know, that's the second piece they really needed. And we, we had been talking about that for a while. And, and you were one of the first we talked to that said, hey, you know, th this may, this is going to happen at some point. It may happen sooner rather than later. And it, it happened there. So we, we get off of that. And now we're 24 hours away from the trade deadline. I'm not going to ask 
you about names or who they should go after or any sort of things like that, Pat. But my question would be this. Is there still a skill, a position, a, a, a type of player that you feel like this team is missing? Or, based on just kind of looking at the landscape, they're better off with what they have right now, and it's more so just figuring out their own unique rotation, Pat. I think in a fantasy world where the Pacers were able to uh, select to make a trade for numerous players and they could kind of pick their guy, um, I think they would still probably be looking for – a three, a wing, a player with length, a two-way type. If they could pick any position, I think that would be it. But I think Pascal Siakam solved a fair amount of those issues or desires. Um, He's a four, and his secondary position might even be five in today's NBA, but he's long, he's a pretty good defender, um, and he gives you length that you previously didn't have. So I think he solved some of what you were looking to accomplish there. Uh, But look, I mean, you obviously feel set at point guard. Um, You feel set at four. and, And Turner, you know, barring something crazy happen, is going to be there at five. And it's those two and three spots that I think are, are probably the most interesting from a big picture going forward. Um, and, and there's, I think, a realistic hope that Benedict Matherin turns into one of those spots, that he's a, a regular starter. And you could make the case that, you know, he could be starting now, but it's Nemhard that kind of fits better and, and that that is going to be his role. And Neesmith, I think, has – had one of the more under-the-radar improved seasons of anybody around the NBA. So the Pacers are in a position where, right now, I think Rick Carlisle is pretty happy with his starting vibe. I think he loves what Nemhard brings next to Halliburton. I think he loves what Neesmith has brought this year. Siakam is an obvious. Turner's an obvious. And Halliburton is an obvious. The Pacers have good depth. They almost always win the bench-scoring matchup. So this isn't a situation where you're saying, hey, you need more depth. I think any move that happens, if one does happen before the trade deadline, which, uh, you know, the Pacers have made arguably the biggest trade in the NBA this year, getting Siakam, anything that happens, I think, is is kind of a look at a bigger picture of bringing more talent into your team. Uh, But if if you could uh, draw up the type of player in a lab, I think it's probably – that long uh, three, but I think they're in a position now where they don't necessarily have to have that. And in general, this is a a franchise that over the next couple of years, I think would love to make another Siakam level splash if they could get there, but you have to be patient. The timing has to be right. You can't force it. And if there's one thing I'm confident of now, I think there probably was a fair amount of motivation over the last couple of months to go get a guy like Siakam and to continue riding the hot hand of this season and also bring in somebody that you feel like you can lock up long term. They've done that now. And so if the right thing falls in their lap and they do their due diligence and and the right thing comes to be here in the next 24 hours or so, then they aren't going to be afraid to strike. But I don't think they're the hunter right now. I think they're more of the observer and keeping tabs on any on everything that's going on. Um, you know, th- th- this franchise does not need to make the the move, the ultimate move by the trade deadline. This is a, a discussion over probably the next couple of years. 
Um, but nothing would surprise me at this point, especially with Kevin Pritchard at the helm. Well, and, and my last question was going to be just that. You know, it, it kind of leads me to believe, Pat, the, your line of thinking that when they made the Pascal Siakam deal, at the end of it, it was reported, let, let me you know, be clear, it was reported out there uh, that Benedict Matherin, Andrew Nimhard, Jairus Walker, uh, they were all off limits. Um, and you've got a piece in Buddy Heald as well that's coveted for the right situation as well. We'll, we'll see what happens with all of that. But because of the positions you're into, uh, you made the swing uh, for Pasco is more draft capital than anything else. You're still in that position where you're hanging on to all those younger assets that, you know, like you mentioned before, the bigger swing reported after this that there were other rumblings of other things happening. So you'd lead it to believe it's not going to be a, a, a little amount of veteran moves that it might be another big swing based on what they currently have of value across the league. Well, I to be honest, that would surprise me if that happens between now and then. But I'm not. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm talking down the road. You know, yeah. and, and not, not at this point. Yeah. Well, I, th- I think I think you know perhaps even Plan A is those guys we're referencing turn into those type of players, the Benedict Matherins of the world, especially. I think he's the one that you know you probably have your most focus on. Can he become? an all-star caliber player. And if that happens, you don't have to take any more swings potentially. If you, if you have the group that you like and Matherin can develop, um, you know, they like Nemhard. I'm not sure he's got the, you know, the higher all-star ceiling, but he's very valuable. And Jarris Walker, we still don't totally know what he's going to be, but I do think, I, I do think there's something to the fact that if you think about the Pascal Siakam trade, <clears throat> the Pacers were able to get an all-star a two-time all-star without giving up a single good young player or a single high-level young player. And that's no disrespect to Jordan War, who I actually think, you know, has the chance and the right opportunity to to be a really good pro. But they were able to keep every single young asset, which means you've got multiple paths forward with those guys potentially becoming the type of impact player or players you need. Or if you wanted one day to, to look at the trade market, those guys would be, I think, highly sought after. Questions way above my head and, and questions that, frankly, mm-hmm. um, you know, are, are probably ones that are answered in the future. I, I, I think Kevin Pritchard would love to see what this team right now can do the rest of the year and into the playoffs and then maybe gauge those discussions down the line as you start to have a better feel for what the Matherins, the Nemhards, the Walkers, the Shepherds are going to be as they continue to develop. Well, and I didn't mean for this to become a speculation of uh, uh, current assets and those sorts of things, but I'm just very interested in some of the responses that you had, Pat, that I, I love the discussion because the fact of the matter is uh, the Pacers hit the national scene a little bit more emphatically because of the Siakam deal, and it made others aware, also the in-season tournament as well, just how many good young players they have in the assets and all the things that we talk about other teams doing um, in, in, in big moves to make themselves real contenders I think the rest of the league knows that and uh, this is a situation that is uh, unique and never uh, really been in the position I mean Pacers have had competitive teams like we grew up in the 2000s and then the 2010s but the position they are to not be good right not just be good right now uh, but the uh, draft capital and the quote-unquote assets is just such a unique circumstance that this state has never seen with this team 
Absolutely. It's fascinating. Um, you know, and, and a lot of that goes back to the last couple of years of acquiring late first round draft picks, bringing in second round draft picks, taking on a bad salary and getting a pick to go along with it. Because by doing that, then you had two late first rounders to give up for Siakam and you had the other pick that you had to give up for Siakam and you were able to do that without giving up any of the young assets that you've drafted and that you're really intrigued by and curious to see, look, as, as long as Pascal Siakam signs a long-term deal here, the ability to get a player of his caliber at 29 years old without giving up a single one of your young, intriguing players that you know Toronto wanted, I mean, it has the potential to go down as – you know, a franchise-altering move. If those guys become the type of players you hope that they can be, or if one day one or any of them are a part of a deal that helps you get that, um, you know, at, at the end of the day, there's risk bringing in Siakam because he's, his contract's up when it's over. But the extreme reward is the ability to potentially get a guy long-term uh, that has the talent and the ability that he does at a fraction of the cost. And if the Pacers can re-up with him, they're going to get a start at the fraction of a cost and still have a whole lot left in the tank. And I agree. I think it makes things fascinating. This team's nowhere near the level of a couple of those ones that you brought up yet, but it has the ceiling to be, if everything goes right, I think even higher. Pacers in action at home against the Golden State Warriors tomorrow. Pacers win last night, 132-129 against the Rockets. We're uh, less than 24 hours away from the NBA trade deadline as well. Pat Boylan for the Pacers Radio Network with us. Hey, thanks, Pat. Uh, enjoy the rest of the week, and we'll talk to you during All-Star Week next week. Okay, Mark, thank you. Uh, that's Pat Boylan uh, with us, Pacers Radio Network. All right, we're way over. We'll take a break, come back for our final segment of the show after this. The aftermath of the trade is this, is the reporting that was done by, I believe, Chris Haynes, Adrian Wojnarowski, and others that basically said the Pacers made Benedict Matherin, Andrew Nimhard, Jairus Walker off limits. Okay. Now, I think all are nice assets. Jairus Walker, we haven't seen a lot from. Benedict Matherin, we feel like, has a high ceiling. And Andrew Nimhart's been a very nice role player, um, has been a value pick as a second-round draft pick. But the fact of the matter is this. It's not realistic that the Pacers hold on to all three. Now, I'll eat my words if it ends up coming down the road that all three are really great players and the Pacers make no other moves. But the real win of the Pascal Siakam trade is what Pat said, is that you held on to those because it puts you in a position to do this again. Does it make does it make it uh, imperative that you do it again? No, but it gives you the flexibility to do it again. You know, when you hang on to all three of those guys, and maybe Miles Turner becomes a trade piece down the road for, for the right type of player. You have immense flexibility. You have immense value across the league. And the fact you hung on to all of that, I think the best position you're in are two things. One, you've got a star in Tyrese Halliburton. The other, you have young, growable players that have immense value across the league. Because the Raptors wanted Matherin, they wanted Walker, and they wanted Nimhard. And the Pacers held firm that they were going to keep those three players and still made the Pascal Siakam deal. And maybe have a chance to sign them long term. It, it looks like it's a pretty darn certain confirmation that he signs long term. But that's the real value of this franchise right now. 
Um, and, and look, all the things that put you in a position to be here, you got to give credit to, to, to Kevin Pritchard. I mean, darn it, man. I mean, he's been great. There was a couple of years ago where there was talks of what, what has Kevin Pritchard done from a drafting standpoint? And, you know, rightfully so. Because his drafts weren't exactly exciting. You know, he had misses with T.J. Leaf, uh, Plumley, and others. I mean, th- there's there, there's a lot of misses, and yet now there's a lot of there's a lot of hits. You know, Goga Batadze was another one of those as well. And uh, now, you know, the, the guys, that the three young guys that are highly coveted around the league, you drafted them all in the last couple of seasons. Pretty incredible where you're at. I mean, it really is, and it's all credit to Kevin Pritchard and that front office, Chad Buchanan, and everybody else. They've done great. They, they've done fantastic. So, uh, big thanks to Pat Boylan from the Pacers Radio Network. He was with us for an extended amount of time. To all of you for joining us, we're back with you better than ever tomorrow. Same time, same place, 4 o'clock, right here on the Talk of Monsey, the new WMUN. Have yourself a great evening.